0: You, 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 know, I be, I be in the, in the town all day. I be, I be in the, the, S, E, A. a S-E-A. You, you, know, I be, I be in the, in the town all day. I be, I be in the, in the, Hello and welcome to episode 330 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton.
1: And I'm Tristan Carcino.
0: And we're coming to you in different locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm.
1: I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of... The Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks.
0: Oh, it sure is the home of the Seattle Seahawks, isn't it? Still tied for first in the NFC West.
1: Dolphins can rest easy tonight. Uh,
0: Wait for it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But let's get right into it because we got a lot to get to. And we'll start with this week's beer, which we are obviously still in. Hashtag fresh hop season. So we're going with the matchless plus CLS Farms, farm harvest fresh hop ale. It's the most wonderful time of the year for hops and you too our fifth annual fresh hop collaboration with cls farms is made with fresh centennial hop cones look for big green floral notes hints of lemon lime and just a touch of refreshing cucumber hold on a second i'm not interested in that there is nothing like that first fresh hop beer of the year
1: you don't like cucumbers No. oh my god one of the most refreshing there's nothing like a cucumber it's so watery okay congrats
0: Lettuce is water. You, you enjoy Absolutely. lettuce? Absolutely.
1: Oh, my God. Do not compare cucumber to lettuce. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> lettuce, <laughs> lettuce is way more ubiquitous. Senses.
0: <laughs> Terrible take. Uh, sadly for Matchless and CLS Farms, not our first fresh hop beer of the year. Not even my first fresh hop beer of the week. Wow. Because I had some of our friends at Seven Seas Brewing in Tacoma Como. on Wednesday night. That was great. Uh, it's been a busy week, which is why no emergency pod. After the UW football game and this week's regular pod delayed until Friday. But uh, as a result, we got a lot to get to. Let's start with our toasts. First up, congrats to Sounders FC GM and president of soccer, Garth Logaway for getting the best executive award from the World Football Summit to be held next week.
1: The best executive of what?
0: <laughs> Just all, of, all of soccer.
1: For what season are we talking about?
0: I mean, I think the voting took place, you know, before it became entirely clear. The
1: We're going to miss the playoffs this year. They put each row to the Hall of Fame of what? <laughs>
0: not this again. Please don't start.
1: I'm, j- I'm joking. Garth Logan has done a good job.
0: <laughs> he has done a great job. But <laughs> not about each row, obviously. Uh, uh, congrats to Michael Penix Jr. and Jalen Polk named Pac-12 Offensive Hello. Player and Freshman of the Week, respectively. For their play in UW's win over number nine, Michigan State, on Saturday, Penix completed 24 of 40 passes for 397 yards and four touchdowns, three of which went to Polk among his six catches for a career-high 153 yards. In fact, more than two and a half times his previous career-high of 61 yards in a game. So quite a day for Jalen Polk and Michael Penix Jr., among others. That's an
1: award that they actually won right there. (laughs)
0: Uh and lastly this week, wanted to wish a happy retirement to Stephen Vogt of the Oakland A's, who makes his home in the South Sound, uh announced his retirement prior to Thursday's series finale against the Mariners. Vote a two-time All-Star in Oakland.
1: Vogt. Yes. And also a one-time hanging out with us tailgating. That is correct. Football game. I
0: I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna play that card, but you with that.
1: <laughs> Stephen Vogt, the most important thing that I remember about him was that he seemed like a normal dude. Oh,
0: very much so. <laughs> MLB stars, they're just like us.
1: When, when Mike Sean talks about how pe- like people get around football players, they're shocked at how big they are. When we got around Stephen Vogt, we were shocked about how much just like us he was.
0: <laughs> a very regular dude. Uh, he could have been Ty France and uh, whoever else was in the uh, the Hawks' nest. At the Monday, whoever night else, JP Crawford,
1: JP Crawford, Jake Lamb, Marco Gonzalez. You don't remember this? It's the former, most important moment of the Seahawks' season so far.
0: Now, possibly former Mariner Jake Lamb, since he got DFA'd on on Thursday. All right, with that, I think it's time for your favorite segment.
1: Oh, I didn't prepare takes. I meant to tell you that <laughs> beforehand. And do you know why? Mariner deserve takes. This oh
0: week. no. You got to earn your takes?
1: Yeah, you have to earn your takes. Michael Penix can have takes. The Mariners do not get takes after the week they've had. But, but, everything is okay. I've considered all sorts of takes, from good to bad this week for the Mariners. From saying that, of course, this this is the same old Mariners, right? If there was any team in all of sports that could have a 99.8 chance of making the playoffs and then miss the playoffs, it would be the Mariners. But then they won today, and their magic number is now down to 9, 10? Uh, 10 their magic number is down to 10 they're making the playoffs and oh, I for one...
0: i'm gonna knock on wood which i was doing all week in in la at our uh, our preseason basketball meetings for espn where i was talking about the mariners potentially making the playoffs
1: i for one want them to limp into the playoffs
0: <laughs> you want them to limp into the playoffs. i
1: want them to make the playoffs with pinch it lorise Turan's home runs with Kellenic bombs, I mean, obviously we were so excited to see Kellenic today, right? Let's develop. Is Kellenic able to be on the roster in the playoffs? Yeah. Okay.
0: You did. It's only like if you aren't are on another team after whatever the equivalent of September first is. I guess it's probably still. September I thought you had to 1st. be on, on the like twenty
1: five man roster Bob by makes... September first. Okay. I don't All think right. so. Fair enough. But it's just like was was hitting... Bob Olcott
0: on the twenty five man roster? He might have been actually.
1: I think they he was like an injury replacement for that, right? For the he was playoffs. an injury
0: replacement, yes.
1: Uh, I just just get everybody healthy though. At this point, it's like you just win a few games, let the Orioles win a few games, get the sixth seed if you have to, get Julio healthy, get Ajuheneo healthy, get Cal healthy, get Ty healthy, get everybody on the roster healthy at this point, and go into the playoffs with a with a fully equipped roster.
0: I assume you mean let the Orioles lose a few games because that's how it works for the Magic Dumpers when they lose. But they I'm saying if,
1: if the Mariners win a few games and the Orioles lose a few games, did I say the Orioles win a few games? Yeah, that's, that's well, what I was correct. Well, let's keep it close in. here. Let's have some fun.
0: <laughs> the, the, I mean, thankfully, the Orioles have lost several games during this same stretch where the Mariners have been scuffling, losing four of six at Anaheim and at Oakland uh, to start this nine-game road trip, their final one of the season.
1: That's what I'm saying, though. It's just like, I, I really think at this point the four seed is not looking likely, and you would rather be the six seed than the five seed.
0: Well, FanGraphs is still projecting the Mariners as most likely to get the five seed. Uh, they are four games up on Baltimore with that magic number of 10 with 13 games to play. They're still within striking distance of both teams in the wild card race. They're a game and a half back of Toronto, a half game back of Tampa Bay, and have a better fan grass projection than the Rays based on schedule the rest of the way, although we've seen the schedule has not helped the Mariners much lately. And part of that, obviously, has been the injuries. Uh, as you alluded to, Eugenio Suarez placed on the 10-day injured list after suffering a small finger fracture last Friday against the Angels. Julio Rodriguez then missed games on Sunday and Monday with lower back discomfort and left Thursday's game in the first inning with the same issue, which manager Scott service called concerning. And oh, I, I echoed. I echoed that comment. <laughs> we agreed it was
1: concerning. Yeah,
0: it's good. definitely concerning when Julio Rodriguez is walking off the field mid-game from the center field uh, with two weeks left in the season. Mariners finished their road schedule this weekend against Kansas City then have a day off before returning home to host Texas. Anything else on the miners here? Did oh, you whoa, watch whoa.
1: the Kellenic game interview today?
0: I did not see that.
1: It was like, I, I think there's a chance that Jared Kellenic is just kind of a dick. Oh, really? like, like, that's kind <laughs> that's of my you vibe it? Of, about, of Jared Kellenic. He did the thing where he, like, unfollowed the Mariners on Instagram beforehand. Oh, like, no. like, the team control in baseball, like, this isn't another sport right like there's no nobody's gonna weep for Jared Kelnick you're not gonna bully your way out of the team and also it's like you're locked in with this team for a long long time so you better figure it out
0: maybe not but it's not because of the fact that they're gonna gonna trade him because Kelnick wants to be traded
1: yes Uh, and he had like the Gator, Ty France came over and dumped the Gatorade on him not like a knowing smile or anything he just looked legitimately pissed (laughs) like I was like Damn, Jared Kellenic, like you should be enjoying this right now. They also, I think this was Brad Adam after the game, asked him about Julio Rodriguez. And Jared Kellenic was basically just like, Yeah, people get hurt. We have to step up. It was sort of just like the most bland interview. And also, this is a little bit weird to be like, Did you know what happened to the other guy who got hurt? Which felt like kind of a strange question. But he was also the basically guy whose like,
0: position you literally took when you slid over.
1: Yeah, but he was starting before then. He was. It, Anyway, Which is, is why that, this
0: does not count as a W for Sam Hagerty, who's fallen off the pace of the 2001 Mariners, sadly.
1: That is, that is really one of the most troubling things that's happened this last week. And it turns out that maybe, I hate to admit this, Julio Rodriguez, uh, Eugenio Suarez, Ty France, Cal uh, Raleigh, plus Sam Hagerty being a part of it, might have been more important than just Sam Hagerty on his own.
0: <laughs> Who could believe that?
1: I have a hard time believing it, but we'll see. We'll see where we end up. We're just, we're trying to get him past row here.
0: It's still neck and neck, still neck. neck. Uh, Well, the Seattle Kraken are back on our rundown for the first time in a while because they began their training camp on Thursday with the return to the ice for Brandon Tanev after suffering an ACL ACL tear last December. And the Kraken begin playing games shockingly soon here. They have already popped up on ESPN.com in my, uh, favorite teams uh, section there in the scoreboard because they're playing a preseason game. I need to wait for this to load and fill a little bit here on Thursday, next Thursday week okay. from Thursday. This this is correct. <laughs> Thursdays. We're recording this. Not, not previously. Yes. They, they've not in the past played a game. Uh, I reject
1: the information that hockey could be starting soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hockey is starting soon. It is indisputable. Well, you know who could be this could be coming to an end soon? That's the Seattle Sounders. Oof. Because they suffered a 2-1 loss in a key game Saturday at the Vancouver White Cups. game. up a pair of first-half goals, didn't get on the board until Will Bruin scored in the 89th minute. Not enough time after that for them to find the equalizer. Now, despite being passed by Vancouver in the standings and falling to 10th in the West, the Sounders' playoff odds on the 538 Soccer Power Index model actually didn't drop that much. They are still the same number of points out of the last playoff spot for with three matches now remaining. that uh, The first of those three comes Tuesday as they host Cincinnati FC in a game delayed from April as part of the Sounders' CONCACAF Champions League run. Cincinnati has not lost since July 17th, over two months unbeaten, with five wins and six draws in that span, and it moved into fifth in the East. Uh, Good news for the Sounders, Christian Roldan expected to return for that match, according to Brian Schmetzer, in a limited role. Now, the bad news the Sounders will be without at least four players on international duty Nico Ladero, Jordan Morris, Nuhu, and Javier Arriaga. The ability of Alex Rodan and Raul Reed Diaz to return from their national teams remains uncertain, mm-hmm. according to Schmetzer.
1: Look at Natty, though. Come on. Yeah. You got you yeah. to give it up for Cincy FC, baby.
0: So, Seattle's hottest professional sports team is OL Rain. Hello. And this team has everything. Megan Rapino penalties, own goals that they overcome, uh, Rose Lavelle. Uh, those are the main things. Uh, they went behind early on Saturday at the North Carolina Courage due to that own goal from Alana Cook in the sixth minute, but equalized five minutes later through Lavelle and got the eventual winner from Megan Rapino later in the first half. How are they on from there? On Wednesday, Rapino netted the lone goal from the spot in the 58th minute as the rain beat lowly Gotham FC. Those results... Moved the rain or even in the standings <laughs> with the hated San Diego wave. We do still hold the tiebreaker via goal differential, but the standings remain incredibly tight at the top with each team having two games left. The top five teams are separated by just two total points in the standings. All five of those teams overwhelmingly likely to make the playoffs, but uh seating very much up for grabs the rest of the way. So it's a crucial matchup coming on Saturday. Is the rain complete their road schedule at the Houston dash Houston, one point back in the standings has the league's third best goal differential at plus nine, but the rain are on a five match unbeaten streak since losing at home to the dash in August.
1: Well, let's bring it on. Also, don't forget who invented this rivalry with the San Diego wave that definitely exists. <laughs>
0: oh, it's a bigger deal at this point than the Veritas Padres rivalry.
1: I have to say. Uh, sh- I, I, I mean, they're literally competing for the top spot in the,
0: I mean they also Portland is also number 1 in the standings ahead of both of these teams. So there's there's a little rivalry there with the 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 Thorns and and Rain as well.
1: Not the same. The NWSL uh, championship is coming down to OL Reign versus versus the San Diego Wave. We could not be more ready for this. Is a playoff matchup in the future. Uh it
0: certainly would be plausible if the teams stay in the spots that they're currently in. if the the rain were third, they would host the sixth place team in the first round. And the winner of that would face presumably, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I guess there would be no receding in that case. You would definitely face the number two seed, which would currently be San Diego.
1: Hello. All right. Let's bring it uh, on.
0: By the way, I believe the wave had the biggest crowd in NWSL history or something like that. The other night is the, uh, in their new stadium that we talked about earlier this season, they hosted angel city FC. The wave had
1: the biggest crowd in NWSL history
0: it was a very big crowd. I don't know if it was larger than Thorne's biggest crowd. I guess that as I think of through, it probably was not bigger than that. But uh we're
1: letting this happen in front of us.
0: Well, also, I mean, combined crowd is still the Reign, Reign <laughs> doubleheader last rain rain sounders double header season. OL Rain
1: OL Rain are playing in the city of Seattle. There's actually quite a bit of competition right now in the city of Seattle. There's so,
0: so much competition. There's really too many professionals. I don't know if you've read this roundup.
1: But well, we just can't even get an NBA team back. Uh, This is all without an NBA team, but we're going to let this happen in the city of Seattle, where they're playing in Lumen Field, which is a bigger stadium than basically any team is playing in in the NWSL, right?
0: I believe at this point it is presumably the biggest in, in the NWSL.
1: And we're going to let this happen. The I agree. San Diego Wave have the biggest crowd in NWSL history when the greatest women's soccer player of all time is playing in Seattle.
0: I mean, I love Pino. I don't know. They would call her the greatest women's soccer player of all time.
1: When Rose Lavelle was playing in Seattle?
0: <laughs> also, a big Lavelle fan would not call her the greatest women's soccer player of all time. They could the be. Greatest... The... Who's the greatest women's
1: soccer player? I mean... Alex Morgan? I don't know. Is I it, thought... Isn't she on the wave?
0: <laughs> she is on the wave. Yeah. She is like dominating the Golden Boot race in the NWS. I believe she has 15 goals this season in a maximum of 20 matches.
1: All right. So. Well we're gonna see how the rest of the season plays out. But has Megan Rapino hasn't announced that she's retiring, right?
0: I don't think she plans to retire now.
1: Okay. That was That's just Sue. News.
0: Sue's older. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of the storm, uh, some updates on the storm players in action in the FIBA Women's World, World Cup, which opened Thursday in Australia. Wednesday night over here in the states, Brianna Stewart had a team high twenty-two points, and Jewel Lloyd fourteen. As the USA won their opener over a tough Belgium squad without the three Las Vegas aces players, who subsequently are arriving in Australia. Including, I didn't put this as a toast, but shout out to Kelsey Plum for the championship iconic celebration. Uh, she was still trending on Twitter as of today, from the parade and uh, uh, photos with a cigar in her mouth. So, but she did make it to the game for their game on Friday. Uh, was was there in attendance? Not playing on Friday. Is the U.S. women beat Puerto Rico one hundred six to forty two? Uh, a real real close one there. Uh, in that one. Jewel Lloyd with 12 points, Brianna Stewart with 11 points, eight boards, and just 16 minutes of action is uh, Cheryl Reeve able to work the bench a bit in that one. Uh, It was a huge game for Gabby Williams with 23 points on 10 of 15 shooting, including three three three-pointers as France knocked off host australia in their opener. Ezey Magbegore and Stephanie Talbot both struggled shooting a combined 3 of 18 from the field, while Lauren Jackson had three points in 11 minutes in her first World Cup game since 2010
1: and and who is the the favorite in the fiba women's world cup is it the us or yeah obviously it's the us significantly
0: yeah i mean i think australia was probably you know considered the toughest challenger so france making a real statement with that opening win
1: we we didn't really talk about this after but we chatted a bit about how basically that i'm calling it the western conference finals the WNBA western conference finals was the de facto championship in the WNBA. And you have to say that the Storm, after seeing how it played out, how close those games were, and then what happened in the actual finals.
0: I mean, two of the Aces' three wins in the finals were close, and they also lost by 26 points in Game 3. So I don't think it's fair to say that the semifinals were the real finals.
1: The Storm were winning the championship if they got through the Aces. Uh,
0: I mean, I think they probably would have been favored in the series, even though they wouldn't have had home court. I think they would have been a trendy pick. But uh, I I would not say it's quite that simple. So. All right. Well, should we talk about UW football? And if we talk about football, UW football, we're going to want to talk about a bold prediction from last December, which is that UW football begins the Kalen DeBoer era in earnest by upsetting a Michigan State team ranked in the top 10 at Husky Stadium in September.
1: Oh, just lock it in. (laughs) Michigan State, mean, Michigan State. Michigan State is not going to be ranked in the top ten. That's the only piece that's off. I mean, they're. I don't.
0: And they have. They have two relatively easy games to start 2022 at home. So I. I think there's a pretty good shot at them being in the top ten, and that's what made it the bold prediction. Because just beating Michigan State isn't necessarily sufficiently bold.
1: That team is trash. UW's going to win that game <laughs> easy.
0: They're not trash, but I. I think they are probably a little overrated.
1: They're. They're next year's University of Washington.
0: Oh boy! Well, I I really hope that they're not going to
1: make a coaching change next year, <laughs> for the the taxpayers and the city and the state of Michigan's sake. <laughs> I do, yeah. Mel Tucker, that would be a
0: lot of lot of money to swallow. Well, as it turned out, I was off about one part of that, and that's that even though Michigan State was ranked in the top ten in the AP poll at number nine, number eleven in the coaches' poll. I was correct about that. The Huskies didn't upset them because they were favored in the game.
1: Oh, there we go. I don't
0: know how often you see a field storm by a team that was actually favored to win.
1: I think, th- I think it happens. I'm sure it does. We kind of both called it, though. To be honest, you called it with the bold prediction. But just the confidence that I have had about that game since the second that I saw it, since the second Kalen DeBoer was hired and Michael Penix transferred to the university, Washington. It could have been Jake Hayner, right? Which, sadly, uh, we saw Jake go down with injury. Definitely don't love to see that. But from the second those transactions happened, we had this game circled on the calendar, right? It has been a long time coming that this game was circled on the calendar. And really just the stars aligned, which, look, I mean, UW played an amazing, phenomenal game. It probably looked better than it was. Right? Like you were saying, they were favored in the game. If this would have been unranked Michigan State, if this would have been 25th ranked Michigan State or whatever, people wouldn't have necessarily perceived it quite as well. But for the first time ever, East Coast Big Ten bias is working for UW in this case, except in the coaches' poll, where somehow, I don't know what fucking coaches were voting in this, decided to keep Michigan State ahead of UW. In the coaches poll, I don't know who was out there being like, yeah, Michigan State here after getting destroyed, demolished in every capacity of the game. Maybe Herm Edwards was voting in it. I don't know.
0: Herm Edwards does say you play to win the game.
1: <laughs> that is that is true. I think he was fired on, off walking off the field, I heard. Uh, they didn't even let him get to the tarmac in that one. But, but, what did I tell you? I have never gone into a game with so much confidence. That I went into this game on Saturday. I'm The only thing I'm upset about is that we didn't record an emergency pod after because it was hot. Everything was incredible about that victory. This is, that was one of the best wins I've ever been to at the University of Washington. Wow, that's funny because I feel like
0: the game itself was kind of almost anticlimactic.
1: The Huskies we were took too good?
0: Yeah, the Huskies took too big an early lead and then there was a little bit of terror in the fourth quarter of are they going to blow this lead which would have been very unlikely but wasn't unthinkable until Cam Davis put the game away with a 30-yard run.
1: It just the combination of every piece of it though. How many Michigan State fans were in the house? Right? I don't think that's something that we were expecting. And I mentioned this to you actually which was I I went into that Seahawks-Broncos game on the Monday beforehand so ambivalent about the game, right? Just being like, I just want to get through this. I don't want to hear the takes. This is kind of how I approach every weekend of Russell Wilson playing football and the Seahawks playing football now. It's really not fun anymore. But the— I went being there, being in that building and being around the like 10 to 15,000 Broncos fans that were there. It becomes a lot more visceral when There's, you're feeling there a, it.
0: There was a thousand Broncos fans for each of your children. Yeah.
1: The, no, they're probably I don't know how many there were. There were a lot of Broncos fans, though. And in the same way, there are a lot of Michigan State fans at that game. And it means you have to be a little bit louder, right? There is a competitive aspect to it. Obviously, you're cheering on the team, but if everybody's on the same page, you feel kind of the same way. But the competitive juices get flowing when you're like, we need to cheer louder louder than they cheer at this game. They can't come into our house and be louder than we are as fans. And I think that was a part of it. I think everything that happened over the offseason, right, with two teams, the Big Ten basically ending the Pac-12 over the offseason. And having a Big Ten team come... Come into our house.
0: UC Regents still may have something to say about that.
1: You really, I just fucking like, I just think it
0: would be so hilarious.
1: It is not going to happen. Right. The UC Regents are the equivalent of stop the steal right now. Like dog, it's over, right? I'm sorry, Rudy, let it go. That is what's going on with the UC Regents. The UCLA ain't coming back. George Klimikoff can go on whatever fucking hotline podcast he wants to go to. It ain't happening. Right? Like, the idea that UCLA is going to make less money in the Big Ten is an absurd idea. It's, like, obviously laughable.
0: Well, I did like uh, the part of the explanation is they would have to spend a lot more on salaries to keep up. <laughs> like, isn't, isn't that kind of the point?
1: Yeah, we have shitty shitty coaches over here. We don't have to spend as much. The, the It's like, so, yeah, you can only offend yourself by making that statement. It's just like, God, what... What was the, it was the Bengals who are always profitable but never won, right?
0: I mean, probably yeah. They they're you're notoriously just, cheap. Yes.
1: When you're Famously just like nobody's cheap. factoring in our net profits right now. <laughs> all they're looking at is winning and losing. Anyway, unrelated to that, all of all of that happening, the 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 games that might yeah. Penn he had,
0: actually, by the way, he should have said said, look, they have to compete with Mel Tucker's contract.
1: <laughs> I mean, th- but. All the games that Kaelin DeBoer and Michael Penix had going into it, and then us seeing it on an, on a legit stage, right, against an amazing team. But also, I swear to God, the way that Michael Penix played in that game, I said this before the game, and I said it after the game, that was the best quarterback play I have ever seen in person at a UW football game.
0: I still think that's too strong.
1: The The ball that he had to poke where... It, look, if they would have inversed him to the right-handed when you saw it later, would you agree with me? <clears throat> if you were able to see the broadcast, him inversed to right-handed. i disputing
0: how well Michael Penix Jr. has played. Michael Penix Jr. has played amazing. I think the point is that you're underrating some of the past UW quarterback performances because of the fact that like, they blend together that far back. You don't remember the amazing game that Keith Price had, or the amazing game that Jake Browning had.
1: But the but I'm just saying the way that he looks when he plays football, those balls that he has, the deep ball to poke where he just dropped it in. I was just like, "That's it, that's our quarterback right there." And now he's in the Heisman race, legitimately, that's, legitimately. This is incredible. But that's what happens when you beat a top ten ranked team and you destroy them, and you have the kind of game that Michael Penix had. Michael Penix is the best quarterback in UW history <laughs> after three games.
0: I mean, I understand what you're saying, that he's reached a higher level of play than any quarterback, not that career value. His career has been the best. I,
1: I don't but know if Warren Moon ever had a game where he threw, threw for 397 yards like that. I mean, he top probably 10 didn't. Big 10 team. I,
0: I don't know if you're aware. that uh, All of the coaches were like Pete Carroll back then. Oh, God. <laughs> and we liked it other <laughs> the the Seahawks actually have passed the all the all the fans were wearing a uh, run the ball Kevin T shirts. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean,
1: but, but also even beyond that, Kalen DeBoer, we have a real coach. When was the last time in the city of C? I, I, I we'll give credit to Chris Peterson. Yeah, right? when was the last time? Yeah, I think Chris Peterson was pretty excited. Chris Peterson. Really loved himself a quick punt. Chris Peterson did not necessarily coach the way that Kalen DeBoer coaches, right? It, it is so refreshing, refreshing to see a coach like Kalen DeBoer who's getting the ball downfield. Those completions, like the yards per completion for Penix is absurd in this game. Right. That is true. 24 completions for 400 yards. He's getting the ball downfield. They're going for fourth downs in proper situations. Keelan DeBoer has coached a near perfect season so far.
0: I mean, the key words being so far, things could that can change in a hurry. But I, I got to say, I got to give. Oh.
1: All we can do is appreciate it right now. We can't be mad about what could happen in the future because not, nothing that has happened not so far. We're mad at this, what could happen isn't in like the future. like the Seahawks beat the Broncos because the Broncos coach shit his pants on the sideline. Like this is the we won because we outplayed them in the, the game. The point is to maintain perspective them. because you have to remember
0: how you felt about Chris Peterson in the moment that they were 9-0 in pro 2016. Chris yeah, but you're not as much because the entire 2019 season happened because the decision to not go for fourth downs in 2017 at Arizona State happened. The longer you coach, the more opportunity you give people to get mad about it, which is maybe a, maybe a note on B. Carroll as well. We've had a oh, lot of opportunity. I'm trying to
1: think of a good example here. Chris Peterson is like a a really, really good, like – fancy burger, right? All the ingredients are excellent. Everything about it, it's technically great. And it's still a phenomenal meal. De DeBoer is like a Loretta's Tavern burger, right? I mean, that's
0: that's weird though, because I think the complaint Kalen about DeBoer Chris Peterson is like, Chris Peterson is too like, solid, consistent, but never spectacular. That's the actual Chris Peterson issue.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about.
0: Whereas De DeBoer is like out there with all the accoutrement. Oh, I don't know, I don't know what the right incredible. comparison is. Uh Chris Peterson is Rainier and De DeBoer is Fresh Oak.
1: Wow. I really feel like it's the other way around. But okay. I don't I yeah, I don't I don't think you have Chris Peterson. You said De DeBoer? Chris Peterson is Rainier? Yeah. Rainier oh, always Chris solid. it. always going to hit the spot. A refined coach. That's what Chris Chris Peterson does everything right. But He's he has- about – Higher lows, but lower highs. He's about the process.
0: I mean, sure, yeah. You don't think Rainier's been honing that process over the last however many years here? Look, a
1: lot of years. You compare, I will be happy about this if you compare Kalen to to either Fresh Hops (laughs) while we were in the Fresh Hop region of the entire world or to Rainier. I'm happy about both of those things.
0: Let's hope Kalen did it season less longer than Fresh Hop season. (laughs)
1: That's the scary part. That's why we want him to be Rainier. <laughs> Honestly, during the game, the only thing I was concerned with was the money that is going into the Big Ten. It's just like the money that is going to be spent on head coaches. And if Kalen DeBoer has, if this season plays out the way that we think this season could play out, the amount of money that is going to be available to Kalen DeBoer so fast, like UW is going to have to start, they're going to have to fucking sign up for the Big Ten instantly. <laughs>
0: Well, they may be able to do that. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, So to circle back to a few things,
1: do do you think there is any like what if UW and Oregon went independent for like two years?
0: I mean, it seems like the trend is the opposite. I gotta say, other than BYU,
1: waiting it out. If, if the Pac-12 was like, you have to sign a grant but then, of rights,
0: uh, I guess yes. If that's the only if, options, but I don't think the Pac-12 has that kind of leverage.
1: Oh, they definitely don't. But, so, I, but if they're just like, that's it. It's all or nothing. It's like, if the Pac-12 is willing to have a completely toothless grant of rights, then whatever. But if they're like, this has to be a grant of rights, I feel like you'd have an Oregon could. Could they?
0: Do they? Are they required to use the term grant of rights? Or can we leave that phrase in eighteen seventy-four?
1: Why why do you why are you anti-grant of rights? It's a it's a thing you do. You're granting somebody the rights to your television contract. It sounds
0: like money. I'm fucking sandy, signing over land in a in some sort of treaty that's been struck. I
1: this is a weird take. It
0: is not a weird take. No one else we uses the term grant in two thousand except for like like a Pell Grant. It's a very different thing. Anyways. Uh, So the Huskies ranked for the first time since the 2021 preseason poll, number 18 in up. the AP, number 24, as you said, in the coaches, where they're three spots behind Michigan State. The Spartans unranked by the AP. But let me tell you, you know who agrees with that? Is it FPI? The Huskies moved three spots, to only three spots to 22nd. They actually made a much bigger leap after playing Portland State. Still six spots behind Michigan State in FPI.
1: That's actually very funny.
0: Uh, the strengths, we talked about the pass offense, obvious. It's a combination of play design, the receiver talent that we thought was there last season, but that the offense and the quarterback play didn't allow to shine and now is. And again, Penix making awesome decisions, delivering beautiful balls. It's all working right now. Then the rush defense, they held Michigan State's running backs to 31 yards on 18 carries, minus 6.1 EPA. Ken Walker the third is not walking through that door.
1: But the other thing is that the UW defense from last year is not walking through that door with teams just running all over them, right? You were there in Michigan. You saw that second half. It,
0: it made me almost believe in the importance of run defense. And then I watched the Seahawks defense. Uh, on the, conversely, the weaknesses in this one, Seahawks run offense, The Seahawks, the Huskies run offense was not very good. Take out the Davis run, and they had 28 carries for 75 yards by their running backs. And the secondary, now... Jordan Perryman did not return for this game. It was another situation where optimism that he'll be back this week. We'll see about Jackson Kirkland. Uh but and then Asa Turner also missed this one. It sounds like he'll also miss the Stanford game. But over the last three quarters, Michigan State's Peyton Thorne, whose name we struggled to recall in the uh the two thousand twenty one recap and bold predictions pod. I cut that section out. Went twenty eight of forty for so three hundred and ten yards. Thorne? Because I said their quarterback is coming back, and you were like, oh. who is that quarterback? Connor Cook? <laughs> <laughs> it was great Kirk Cousins. It's Kirk Cousins. <laughs> you brought up Kirk Cousins as well, yes, obviously. Uh, anyways, without his leading receiver, Jaden Reed, who missed this one due to injury, over the last three quarters, Peyton Reed threw th- for 310 yards.
1: I-, I think there was a bit of a flow of the game type of situation here. And I yeah, there's an
0: element is- of it, but I think it's also Michigan State realized at some point, hey, we can't run. Maybe we should pass here. <laughs>
1: And like I said to you at the game, I left that game actually impressed with Michigan State, where I went into it thinking that Michigan State was one thing, and I left the game realizing that Michigan State was another thing.
0: That thing being aggressive on attempting fourth downs.
1: Aggressive on attempting fourth downs, passing the ball, trying to stay in the game, right? I thought they were a Big Ten team who was just going to pound the rock no matter what, right? I thought that was it, that they were one-dimensional. And Michigan State was not one-dimensional in that game. Michigan State kept fighting in a way that it it looked more like an NFL game than college games typically do.
0: So here we embark on Pac-12 play. Who knows if it's for the last time in its current form. Uh, Stanford coming to town on Saturday night. Coming off a bye week, they beat Colgate 41-10 in Week 1 and then unveiled a new RPO-based attack in Week 2 while hosting USC. Stanford offense moved the ball. They got 221 rushing yards on 45 attempts but committed five turnovers in a 41-28 to loss where their defense had a tough time stopping a Caleb Williams-led Trojans attack. Williams went 20-27 of 27 for 341 yards, four touchdowns, and USC led that one 40-14 entering the fourth quarter before giving up two touchdowns late. As a result, Stanford ranks 35th in FPI efficiency on offense, 119th on defense, and 131st wow. out of 131 teams in special teams. I went not on that one. I don't really understand why their special teams rating is quite that bad. Uh, the Huskies, 5th on offense, 39th in defense, and 119th. Still very bad on special
1: teams. 5th on offense?
0: 5th on offense. Where's USC. I think they are one of the four teams ahead of UW. Uh, Certainly Caleb Williams is one of the eight quarterbacks in the country with a higher QBR than Michael Penix Jr. I mean, it's
1: it's very interesting that your description of that game, the teams that are probably the most similar in the Pac-12 right now are USC and the University of Washington, and that Stanford has to have them for their first two games. I still think, I think that the defense, the Husky defense, especially if Jordan Perryman is back, uh, I, I think there is a very solid defense there. I yeah, I don't I don't think that we should take too much from the last three quarters of that Michigan State game necessarily. I think it
0: reinforced concerns that already existed that Kent State and Portland State were not able to take advantage of. Uh, USC is second in FBI efficiency on offense, 43rd on defense. So yes, a very similar formula thus far to the Huskies. And almost precisely the same. Very excited to see Michael Penix Jr. go up against the Stanford defense.
1: I, it's kind of wild. This is David Shaw's team.
0: Once the defining feature of David Shaw's early teams, but they've been dismal on defense for a while. They have been ninetieth or worse in FPI efficiency on defense each of the last three seasons, three seasons before this dreadful start. Uh, they did manage to sack Caleb Williams three times in that game. That was probably the one positive. Penix has only been sacked once all season. Which, wow! The pass that's protection, without Jackson Kirkland. Yeah, the pass protection has been. Outstanding. Still, some question marks about the run blocking, but the pass blocking is much more important and has been. Oh, on the point.
1: time that Penix had back there. The two places that you said that there were question marks for you, Dub. I I think it's very notable that they're experienced players who have been injured. Both Asa Turner and or and Jordan Perriman in the secondary, and then yeah. Jackson Kirkland on the offensive line.
0: That is a fair point. I. That is a fair point.
1: But you're uh, gonna deal with injuries in college football. That's a real or football in general. That's a reality that's going to happen. So you have to play through those injuries. And obviously, if if those are if we're looking for negatives in a game where they beat the number 10 team in the country, I think I think not, we're good.
0: Not negatives, concerns. Concerns. Uh So offensively for Stanford, uh, their quarterback Tanner McKee was okay in his first season as a starter in 2021 when he finished sixth in the Pac-12 in QBR. Has been a bit turnover prone thus far, throwing three interceptions in just 62 pass attempts. Uh, E.J. Smith, son of Emmett, leads the Stanford with 206 rushing yards but left the USC game due to injury, and David Shaw ruled him out for this week. His backup Casey Philkins has actually been better by EPA so far, despite getting a higher percentage of his carries against the Trojans. Balanced receiving attacks. Seven different targets, including both running backs, have at least forty-six receiving yards through their first two games.
1: So, so with this RPO attack that they're running, it's going to put a lot of pressure on those UW linebackers. But I think have played fairly well so far. I know
0: I've been quite impressed with the linebacking core, and they've rotated a lot at that spot. It's kind of interesting that they've basically rotated none at all in the secondary uh particularly with Turner being out on Saturday. And they've rotated a ton everywhere else, including inside linebacker, where there's, you know, been four guys rotating through with the experience at that position that they added through transfers.
1: And Tanner McKee might not be somebody who's able to test them in the same way that Peyton Thorne was deep necessarily.
0: I think that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. So and they also have a better chance to prepare for this than USC. So they had not, they didn't run this in their opener against, who was it again? Colgate? I was going to say Cornell.
1: Uh, I thought you said so they came off a game against Colgate. Or they've only played two games?
0: Week one was Colgate, and okay, then okay, week and then two was USC, two USC, and then a bye last week.
1: What, so the I Husky's have to say, week three bye schedule <laughs> that I can think of to start <laughs> the season. It is
0: an unusual one. They've only played one non-conference game thus far. I guess they have presumably Butter Dame. Dame on the schedule yeah. later on. I don't know who else it would be. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, I mean this this matchup seems quite favorable for the Huskies, is my yeah.
1: analysis. If there's a defense that's going to let the Huskies move the ball, that is a favorable matchup. Absolutely. I mean, just understanding how good the offense looks right now, I think we have to be. Oh, they have BYU at the end of the year. Interesting. Yeah, they play. It's it's the off year, so they don't play Notre Dame, right? They play. Is it Notre Dame that they play, or is it? No, no play, they play. They play.
0: USC plays them at the end of the season. Stanford just plays them whenever.
1: Okay, and they rotate it home and home on Thanksgiving, right? Notre, Notre Dame and USC.
0: Uh, the Notre Dame-USC schedule, you will recall, is when USC plays at Notre Dame. It happens in October, and alternatively, it happens in, when the game plays played in L.A. is when it's played in November.
1: Okay. Anyway, so they have, they have Notre Dame coming up in the middle of the schedule, and then BYU at the end. It's a pretty funky schedule for Stanford, I have to say.
0: I would agree with that.
1: Yes. Uh, what about Tanner,
0: Tanner McKee was in the tier two of NFL draft prospects at quarterback?
1: Oh, I've seen a lot ago. of hype for Tanner McKee. I didn't so realize this was a thing. <clears throat> what about Stanford defensively?
0: They're very bad. We already covered that. <laughs> okay. But get some get a few sacks.
1: So, I I really can't. I can't see the, the crowd is not going to be at 7:30. The crowd's not going to be as hype as they were for Michigan State, but as we keep winning these games, I think there's some energy rallying around the University of Washington football program. I think there's some excitement building. Uh I mean
0: they needed to win last Saturday. That was that was their moment because it was the biggest crowd that they've had since probably the 2019 Apple Cup, maybe 2019 versus Oregon. And you combine that With the fact that the Seahawks aren't very good, like there's an opportunity here for the Huskies. I don't think that's like an apples and apples comparison, Huskies and Seahawks fans, because the Seahawks can pull from a much larger group, you know, than people who care about the University of Washington. But
1: It is true that when a team is down, people start thinking about other teams. No. I mean, we've seen it in San Diego, right? We, t- we talked about it with, I think that was, was that Isabel who was telling us about that? Where San Diego saw that the Chargers had moved, and the Padres were like, there's a window here. The Chargers moving matters for that wave crowd that you're talking about. Yeah. People only, only have so much space mentally, and we'll talk about this in a second, but people gave up on the Seahawks last Sunday. Fans in general are done. We're done with the Seahawks season. happened. All it took was one week for people to be done with the Seahawks season. And if especially since the day before, the other football team in the city of Seattle crushed one of the best teams in the country, people are going to be very excited about it. Students, do they start? Are they get? They're probably moving in this weekend.
0: Correct. I've just looked this up. The first day of the autumn quarter wasn't it the fall quarter when we were there? Did they change it to autumn? Uh, September twenty eighth.
1: El- elegant sounding. Okay, so <laughs> so they're going to be starting school on the not the one the Wednesday after this. Correct. Moving is this weekend. Out. What? Good math there. If if you're... I have a song coming out on the 28th, so I know what day of the week it is.
0: One of your artists has a song coming out.
1: (laughs) You don't know that. (laughs) You have a song? Anyway. Students are going to be moving in to campus on the weekend. No classes yet.
0: You got all day to move in, come to the game at night. It's a great scenario.
1: Yeah, all day to... Move in <laughs> on the you day before. Tail,
0: you can tailgate as well. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah.
1: I think we might have a pretty hype night.
0: The I It appears I am going to go to this game.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Wow. And we're going to have ESPN's Kevin Pelton back in the house. Yeah. Katie made her triumphant return oh, to Husky Stadium. Kevin Pelton is back in the house. She got Chris a vintage... Smith is going to be there. This will be the first time all year that all of us are there.
0: Katie got a vintage Tristan Performance classic. Just celebrate her return. How was that drive home?
1: Fine. We stopped okay. and got Poliachi. We yeah. got Poliachi on the way in, and Poliachi on the way out.
0: <laughs> wow, that's that's almost like an airport sneak of Poliachi. I mean, look. Which, which, by the way, quick note on the airport. What, what is features. the?
1: I'm I'm not only the owner.
0: <laughs> so there is now. A beachers open in the north uh concourse if your flights are taking off from there. It was an exceptionally long line when I went early Sunday morning because the beachers itself wasn't technically open. You had to go to the Cave Vita like next door to it and order the beachers there. But uh is just a heads up for everyone if you're if you're flying out of the end gates.
1: I'm not only <laughs> I'm not only <laughs> Uh, a palaiachi spoy spoy <laughs> spoyth we don't sponsor uh, Yes, that's true. I'm also a client, wow <laughs> it was wow. great i literally I would have Paachi for every single meal. I would not tire of pizza. I would not tire of Paachi pizza
0: there you go, all right, chances of victory
1: part of me wants to say ninety eight percent. <laughs> There's just I I'm so happy that this is Stanford too. God, Let's I do it. To, old wow. school just crush Stanford, right? Was it was that? Was the year? That was the year we went to the Peach Bowl, 2016. Dominated I mean, that's the game right? that
0: people compared the Michigan State game to in terms of like a statement win.
1: It was like 31 to zero, though. I mean that that game Huskies won a lot bigger.
0: Sure. Also, I think Michigan State was significantly better than whatever that Stanford team So Stanford
1: team ended sucks always and forever. Um,
0: <laughs> but not when they're playing UW at home.
1: Uh, we'll see. There have been some times. There, there, Stanford has been either very frustrating or just, like, total domination. There was one game around Halloween one year that I didn't go, and it was just, like, it was over in the first quarter.
0: Wait, they made a comeback in that one. Am I thinking of the same one?
1: 16? I think I don't remember what year that was. There, there was one game where I was. like... I
0: believe that was two thousand eighteen.
1: Eight. I think I just. It was right after Marco was born.
0: It was forty-four to six. Was the final in twenty sixteen. Uh, that that Stanford team did finish ten and three. They ended up ranked twelfth uh, in the country. So I guess they were a better team than I'm giving them credit for.
1: Yeah, beat the crap out of them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, two
0: thousand eighteen was November third. Huskies won 27-23
1: okay that wasn't that wasn't the game that I was thinking of then there was there was one game that I swear it was around Halloween. it was just like it was done instantly. It was like twenty to three by the a, first by the,
0: for in favor of the huskies yes not familiar with this one
1: but i I think reasonably it's probably like a seventy eight percent chance
0: oh wow that was conservative. I was gonna go eighty five
1: my 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 heart tells me it's a 98% chance of victory. I just... We're not going to lose. That's the reality here. The only thing that we need to be thinking about is not what's going to happen in this game. It is what happens when Kalen DeBoer goes into situations where the Huskies have always done bad, right? I have October 8th at Arizona State circled on the calendar. Oh, no. And it's just like, what's going to happen there? I mean... I think that UCLA team is fairly bad, aren't they?
0: Uh, they are undefeated, for the record. Oh, really? They are uh, one of the undefeated, the, along with the Huskies, one of, I believe, 33 undefeated teams in the
1: country. Washington that, State
0: is in that group, Oregon State.
1: That's a, a Friday night at UCLA. Like, that one is like, we'll see what that looks like.
0: But they narrowly, I think they had a last-second field goal to beat South Alabama last Saturday Oh, UCLA. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I mean, the reality is, the Huskies should be favored in every single game this year except for at Oregon on November 12th at this point.
0: That is correct.
1: So a lot can happen between now and November 12th, but taking it one game at a time, I, give me the 98% chance.
0: <laughs> I was repeatedly telling you during Saturday night's game to live in the moment because you kept going on and on about uh, what it meant for the Huskies season that they were winning that game is the way that they were.
1: You were telling me to live in the moment.
0: I was, yes. Wow. You were getting way ahead of yourself. All right. Well, speaking of teams that got ahead of themselves.
1: <laughs> I don't even think they did, though. I oh. think everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. The Seahawks down. got ahead of themselves. Well, I mean, that's a Twitter account. Come on. I told you offline before we did our emergency podcast, if anybody thinks that I was too hyped on the Seahawks, I told you, I, I had I had to build it up right. That is, I told that you that is accurate. I said literally, I feel nothing.
0: <laughs> you did say that. To your point about people giving up on the Seahawks after one week, so I flew out of SeaTac again early on Sunday morning. The reason we didn't do a an emergency pod, and so I was expecting, oh yeah, it's a Seahawks Sunday. People are going to be aware and a lot of gear it gets the rival hated rival 49ers. You know, a weave San Diego Weave style rivalry for the Seahawks historically. Like obviously, people will be hyped about this game. I saw Seattle Mariners gear. I saw University of Washington gear. I saw a lot of Michigan State gear. Many very sad Michigan State fans flying back home the next day. You got you gotta pack some non-Michigan State gear just in case for that flight home. Although I did end up wearing a Seahawks hoodie on on Tuesday on Wednesday when I flew home. Uh I saw a DK Metcalf jersey, and I, of all people, was again wearing a Seahawks hoodie on Sunday. And that was, like, basically it. Like, there was nothing. And I feel like you go through SeaTac on a Sunday two, three years ago. Well, probably not two years ago. Three years ago, uh, it's going to be, like, completely Seahawks' out. <laughs> it, it, to me, was the sign that people have already moved on.
1: Deep down, people people saw what happened on Monday night. And the Seahawks, they, congrats. All, all praise to them they won the Super Bowl and then the season was over right they achieved everything that they wanted to achieve in that game and then they quietly packed up their bags and went home <laughs> like that was that was the season you fucking called it you called it that was all it, it, they there's cared a long about.
0: ways to go I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a victory lap on that part of it quite yet but but the we evidence know, is consistent we know with what I what said this
1: team is right well Zag you know what this team was Everybody knows what this team is. Everybody
0: but one person. That who? person being Pete Carroll.
1: Oh, God.
0: Who, according to my ESPN colleague, Adam Schefter, uh, here's his report. Pete Carroll was so convinced that the Seattle Seahawks could have a successful 2022 season that, during training camp, the longtime coach gave the team a presentation about the 50th anniversary of the 1972 undefeated Miami Dolphins and asked his players why they couldn't accomplish the same feat, sources told ESPN. I know it's possible," Carroll told the Seahawks players, according to sources. And I mean, from like a literal definition, it was possible. They hadn't lost the games previously, so they could have gone seventeen and or, you know, twenty and L. I guess
1: it's bold. It's bold to do the presentation, but it's a Pete Carroll move, and I figured out why. I I I really I don't know if people have brought up this point or whatever. So I I apologize if this point has been brought up before. I was seeing somebody talk about maybe the most majestic play we've seen in this Pete Carroll era, right? You have the Beast Quake, you have the Tip. We haven't come up with a name for this just yet, but putting four running backs on the field at the same time in the backfield and somehow ending up with one receiver running a route because Geno Smith is also out there. And DJ Dallas throwing what is one of the worst passes I've ever seen in my entire life right to the 49ers. And somebody was like, what happened that made them think this was a good idea? And it all clicked. They practice against the Seattle Seahawks defense. That's what's going on. That is why Pete Carroll thinks this team could have gone 17-0. That's why Pete Carroll thinks Geno Smith is a starting NFL quarterback. That's why Geno Smith thinks that the running game is good. Or, or that's why Pete Carroll think he, Pete Carroll thinks that every aspect of the Seahawks offense is really good because every single week in practice they play against the worst defense in in the NFL. That play probably fucking worked against this defense over and over and over again. They were probably so fooled by it. That Geno Smith was like, "Yeah, of course we'd roll it out. In practice it works every single time." They don't know what they're doing with those four running backs out there. That's why Pete Carroll thinks that a 20-0 season was coming for the Seahawks because this offense probably looks like the 72 Dolphins, 2007 Patriots, is that the year? Yes. 2007 Patriots. If you were facing the Seahawks defense, you would look like that also.
0: I mean, I got to say Sunday was more 1976 Buccaneers than it was 1972 Dolphins in my estimation, but... uh...
1: I Do you I think, understand what I'm saying? There has, no, I mean, to, there has to be an element of it. The shit, I, mean, I think the shit works in practice. When you go against a real defense, all it, of a sudden...
0: It relates to my theory about why the Seahawks are bad at screens on both sides of the ball, which is like they're going against each other. So if both sides are bad, they don't realize how bad they are at it because they play into a draw. Uh, One thing I was curious about that was not in the report is... Does P. Carroll just tell every single team that they could go undefeated? That's what like, I, was, I was wondering
1: about that, too. Now, the
0: fact that it was highlighted it was the 50th anniversary suggests perhaps not.
1: Okay, think about this. <clears throat> How many quarterbacks? We saw Davis Mills roast the Seahawks defense. Josh McCown roast the Seahawks defense. There's a certain type of quarterback that is so good.
0: You didn't, you didn't this... mention Russell Wilson?
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't know if Russell Wilson roasted the Seahawks defense. Russell Wilson did fine.
0: Those guys all lost. I mean, do Davis... Wait, they beat, did they, they lose no, to Davis they,
1: Mills? The, the Seahawks beat the Texans. Yeah, yes.
0: okay. Those guys all but they lose still, the game. They,
1: but they give up so... They, they lost the game to Russell Wilson. They did not lose the game to the Seahawks. Davis Mills lost to Russell Wilson. Josh McCown there. lost to Russell Wilson. They didn't lose to the Seahawks' defense.
0: Fair point. Also, you didn't mention Matt Schaub?
1: Oh, I mean, first off, Matt Schaub did nothing wrong. But
0: only late career Matt Schaub. Houston Matt
1: Schaub, it didn't apply. Because... There, there's a type of quarterback who does that to the Seahawks defense. Geno Smith is that quarterback. The I, dings and the dunks, the short passes, the stuff over the middle, all of it, all of it works against the Seahawks defense. Geno Smith is exactly kryptonite for this Seahawks defense, and he's practicing against them. He probably thinks, like, that's why you would run the offense that they run. That's why. But we got to, we got to the preseason. The thing that was most shocking to me about this game was, I told you this. It was like we would leave every game and be like, Yeah, I don't know. Geno's numbers don't look that bad. All those numbers against the Niners did look that bad if, if you look at anything beyond completion percentage. But it would be like, Yeah, Geno's numbers don't look that bad. And the Seahawks scored zero points. That's what happened every single game in the preseason under Geno Smith. It'd be like, Yeah, it's been 12 straight drives with the Seahawks not scoring a touchdown or a field goal under Geno, but he doesn't seem that bad. Now it has been the entire, the second half of the Broncos game. Well, he did look bad in the second half of the Broncos game. Four quarters against the 49ers being like, Gino doesn't seem like he's playing that badly, but we also scored zero points on offense.
0: I come here to defend Gino Smith. I think you are being entirely too harsh. Gino Smith has been completely competent, to go back to our discussion from the preseason. Uh, He's In addition to being number one in completion percentage, he also has the best CPOE in the league. So it's not just a product of the fact that he has the lowest average yards per attempt among qualifying quarterbacks in terms of air yards.
1: Completion percentage is, is a reductive thing to look at. Completion percentage does not matter. Yards per attempt matters. Stuff like that matters. Completion percentage is the most overrated stat to look at in football.
0: I no, no. Uh touchdown percentage is the most overrated stat to look at for a quarterback. In yards. Uh, number of rushing attempts plus completed passes. Uh Do you there's... understand what I'm
1: saying. Just completing passes, you still need to move you need to pick up first downs. The game but... is not about complete you don't get like a first down for every certain amount of completed passes. EPA you need to get the ball. you need to advance the ball to the end zone.
0: His football. EPA per play is completely average. The problem is the Seattle Seahawks have like invested so many fucking resources, <clears throat> so much time, energy, thought, concern into being good at one thing—running the football—and they're not good at it.
1: But they they're don't. Bad they, have, at it. they did not try to run in this game. They didn't run because that they much. knew it wasn't going to work. Uh, how can you? How can you tell me that Geno Smith played fine? But they scored zero points and they didn't run the ball that much. It'd be one thing if this would have been because they ran the ball extremely unsuccessfully when they did run it. it. And also the one, how many carries were there total? Twelve.
0: The one time they did move the ball down the field, they ran the DJ. They took Geno Smith to wide receiver and ran the play you just complained about. Remember that? It was
1: it was majestic. I mean,
0: six point six yards per attempt is not that bad. Jimmy Garoppolo averaged seven point three. They, did like. That can be part of a balanced offensive diet. That diet just can't include six carries for 15 yards from Rashad Penny.
1: It's six carries, though. You should be it's able. To 15 have... It's 15 yards. It's six carries
0: that are ruining drives.
1: I that is absurd. If, if if you're passing the ball well, six what what we see right there, those I I guess if you put it a terrible take. 12 carries for the Seahawks running backs is exactly what we want to see in a game. Geno Smith is not moving the ball downfield far enough. Are you kidding me? And maybe it's not on Geno. It's probably by design. We also yep. have to ask ourselves the question I mean, look, I, obviously, Geno is not like
0: a good quarterback, but he's a fine quarterback. The Seahawks are 18th in past DVOA, they're 28th in rush DVOA. The rushing game is the problem right now. But Pete Carroll did address this in his Monday, typical uh, day after interview on Seattle Sports 710, talking about Gino. We need to trust him and we need to maybe give him a few more opportunities and stuff. We've been pretty solidly conservative counting on running the football. The point is, we need to keep expanding it. We have too many explosive avenues to go to, and we've got to make sure that these guys show up. So Carroll also said that the concern about the 49ers' pass rush was a factor in their conservative game plan on Sunday, but he was impressed by how Charles Cross and Abe Lucas held up in that one as uh, Gino was sacked twice in 32 draft drop by back, dropbacks
1: I, I think the real thing that matters is Gino Smith doesn't matter Rashad Penny doesn't matter this defense is so bad they are possibly one of the worst defense in the league they're 25th
0: that... in DVOA a... okay I okay. mean we'll see one what of
1: the 7th we... worst defenses in the league that the, it that's does... one, of the, one
0: of the 8 worst but thanks for the Pelton cast
1: map it does not matter if Geno Smith reaches the level of average, if the offense is the 18th best He's offense... He's already in the
0: defense, reached, reached the level of average. I'm telling you that repeatedly, and you refuse to admit a it. a
1: touchdown. How are you defending this? What about this game looked good to you? Nothing,
0: but it wasn't... I don't think Geno was the biggest culprit.
1: I'm not saying Geno... He's not even in the top culprit. 10 I mean, biggest culprits. No, I think it is the scheme for how they're treating Geno Smith. It is Geno who's the culprit, but... The other question remains, which we have to ask ourselves, is Shane Waldron good? I, I just don't even
0: know. Like, I can't judge him independent of Pete Carroll and his philosophy is with every other offensive coordinator the Seahawks have ever had under Pete Carroll. You I have just, no idea I whether they're good think or not.
1: That These last two games have been as Pete Carroll on offense. I mean,
0: sure, they're passing the ball a fair amount, but as you've noted in our group text, they've just exchanged runs for short passes.
1: Is Pete Carroll exchanging those runs for short passes? Or is Shane Waldron doing that?
0: Uh, Pete Carroll's the one saying, we need to maybe give him a few more opportunities. Do you think that like, he's having to go to Shane Waldron and be like, whoa, stop being so conservative, Shane Waldron, who's like half my age?
1: I really don't know. It seems telling that in Shane Waldron's tenure that the Seahawks have run, like, half the amount of plays as every other team. And I understand the defense has been bad during that time period. Allowing
0: the most plays per drive of any NFL team and the longest drives nearly 30 seconds longer on average than anyone else, according to Pro Football Reference.
1: Okay, so how are you going to tell me that this isn't one of the worst defenses in the NFL? Sometimes DBA is one
0: of the worst defenses in the NFL. You actually think think this
1: is the eighth worst defense? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, at some point,
0: 24th versus 28th is irrelevant. It's not a good enough defense to win, obviously.
1: Okay, then. That's it. The defense is really bad. It doesn't really even fucking matter what Gino does. Gino, in this None of it matters.
0: Is... All that matters is how quickly they lose faith in Pete Carroll and fire him. That's what <laughs> mattered. What draft pick they get? That's what. And whether the Broncos are actually is inept as they have looked through two weeks. And oh, it's kind two of wild being like,
1: I'm like pretty hyped to watch Niners Broncos this weekend. <laughs> I'm not... way It'd more excited fascinated. about the Niners Broncos than I am for the Seahawks game. Never, I've never cheered for. I cheered for the Niners pretty hard when they were playing the the Rams to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> There've been a couple of moments. Somehow playing against the Packers in the playoffs was like, yeah, okay, let's fucking go Niners. Really, I feel like the Niners are like, as far oh, as... Oh,
0: man, the- when Colin Kaepernick was running through that Packers secondary, I mean, it was still Jim Harbaugh was on the sidelines, though.
1: The Niners register way lower to me than the Packers and the Rams, though. But let's go Niners this weekend. We're playing for that draft pick right now. Strange times. Uh, But the other thing is, I, I think when we had conversations earlier about whether Pete Carroll would be here at the end of the year or whatever, depending on how it goes. If things are bad in an NFL season, people lose faith in the people who are leading the team very quickly.
0: I mean, I think I've said this often. I think people are very bad at predicting how they will feel about things before they actually happen. So... Like you can say intellectually, "Oh, you know, the Seahawks are rebuilding. It's okay if they go five and twelve or six and eleven this season or whatever it is. But then when you actually have to go through those eleven or twelve losses, it hits different. Also, I still have this the overrun Seahawks six wins, so we'll see I...
1: what what is the spread this weekend, by the way? I was curious about that.
0: Oh the spread this weekend favors your Seattle Seahawks by one point. I really don't know what to make of that. Uh, Do you want to talk about the the Falcons?
1: Neutral site, the Falcons are a better team. I expect the Falcons to win this game.
0: Well, a one-point spread implies they're better on a neutral site and implies the advantage to the Seahawks is strictly a product of home field advantage. Uh, They're 17th in DVOA despite their 0-2 start with those two losses coming by a combined four points. Of course, famously, Arthur Smith Deciding against going for it on fourth and short, punting the ball away to New Orleans and allowing the Saints to drive down for the go-ahead score late in that one. Then week two,
1: played the Rams pretty Hackett's tough. Of coaching.
0: Well, <laughs> well uh, played the Rams pretty tough, especially in the fourth quarter, made a late run at that one, but uh, L.A. held on to win by three. Falcons 12th in offensive DVOA so far, 24th on defense, 10th in special teams. Marcus Mariota, 12th in the Dakota Composite. He's 11th in EPA per play and has generated 1.9 EPA as a rusher per QBR. 2.1 EPA in penalties, which ranks second to Russell Wilson with Geno Smith third somehow. Don't know quite how that checks out. And look, I would say that our longtime faith in Marcus Mariota is paying off this season. Back as a starter. We have always believed in Marcus Mariota. Oh, Uh, yeah. Cordero Patterson, is just starting running back now. 32 carries, 161 yards, number six in DVOA or DR, I should say. Uh, The big storyline about the Atlanta offense nationally, the lack of production from tight end Kyle Pitts, who has just four catches for 38 yards in two games after averaging four catches and 60.4 yards per game. As a rookie, when he put up historic rookie tight end numbers, it's basically Kyle Pitts and Mike Ditka, I think had the two best rookie seasons ever by tight ends. (laughs)
1: Gonzalez, that for real?
0: I think he was ahead of Tony Gonzalez because he was I, I don't think he was like that good out the box converting from from power forward. Uh, Pitts has been targeted 10 times, which is second on the team behind impressive rookie Drake London. The USC product has 13 catches, 460 yards. Also, watch out for well-traveled Cadero Hodge has been a big play threat with three catches for at least 18 yards and just six targets through two games. Falcons number 28 in rush defense, which is weird because they actually did fine against New Orleans' running backs as well as LA's running backs, but they allowed 81 rushing yards to Taysom Hill. So I don't know what the equivalent is here unless DJ Dallas just runs a lot. I think,
1: weirdly hard to defend.
0: (laughs) Uh, Not when he's playing quarterback, but sometimes when he's playing those other positions, yes. So maybe DJ Dallas rips off a bunch of really long runs while playing Wildcat quarterback?
1: No, that's not Uh, happening.
0: Uh, the Falcons did manage to pick off Matthew Stafford twice, along with recovering a fumble in that game, which was filled with a lot of turnovers in Falcons' Rams.
1: The most... that People passed to tight ends a lot more often back in the day. I would have guessed that it was higher now, actually. I'm a little bit surprised by that. But most of the greatest rookie tight end seasons happened in 60s... Well, there's a few recent ones, but 60s, 70s. Cam Cleland did not expect to be in the top 10.
0: There you Wow. Said this is receptions or
1: yards? Yards for a rookie tight end. Love to see it. Number eight, right behind Evan Ingram, but also ahead of like Noah Fant right there. Uh, Mark Andrews, Rob Gronkowski, Tony Moyaki. Remember that year he had as a rookie his only good season.
0: Was he playing with
1: Tony Gonzalez at that point? Tony Moyaki.
0: Or he replaced him? I don't know. What was the story there?
1: That was 2010. Tony Gonzalez was definitely gone by then.
0: I, you could tell me any year that Tony Gonzalez retired. I would believe it.
1: Well, he played for the Falcons after.
0: Yeah, well, yes. Fair.
1: He wasn't retired in 2010, but...
0: It was his, it was his it was second season after. in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, Kyle Pitts is going to get off in this game. I mean, this is going to be the kind of game where after it's going to be like a news story, how good Kyle Pitts does. And how how many yards he has in it. He'll have two touchdowns, 130 yards or something. Like, this is going to be a Kyle Pitts game. You know, Kyle Pitts has
0: only scored one touchdown in his NFL career.
1: I'll cheer for him when he scores, too. He's earned it. Um, The, this is, I feel like the Falcons are kind of uniquely set up to play well against the Seahawks defense. You know, Mariota being able to move around, having those good receivers and tight ends like that. Arthur Smith should be able to, I mean, Arthur Smith was, I guess he wasn't there last year when the Titans uh, beat the Seahawks, but they're, they're going to be able to move the ball against the Seahawks defense, and Geno Smith will do nothing. Like, I, we saw it last week. We'll see it again. The Falcons are probably around the same same as good. They don't run the ball you as well. Remember,
0: as I mean, uh, we haven't talked about the Trey Lance injury at all. You remember, you are the same person that was like, how are the Seahawks possibly underdogs by so many points in San Francisco, and game that they lost by 20 points. But despite a special teams touchdown,
1: they are who we thought they were. I don't know what to tell you. They're bad. The team is bad. Are they good for content, though? So far, yes. We'll see. It's been two weeks. Just I I
0: agree. Week 14. It could be a little less fun. (laughs) When DJ Dallas has thrown his eighth interception of the season.
1: I just like don't even look forward to the latter half of the season when like they win a game unexpectedly and it's just like oh god. Like we have to be excited about this or whatever.
0: Can I lightly defend the DJ Dallas play call?
1: Sure, yeah. Do you remember
0: like... how hyped we were the one time Miles Gaskin threw a pass out of the Wildcat?
1: That was different. How many because running had... backs were on the field? When Miles Gaskin were there four,
0: probably two. I assume there were probably two tight ends, two tight, two tight ends, two running backs, and a wide receiver. Out of the
1: Wildcat, the ball was handed off to Ken Walker. Oh, okay. And then he handed it off to DJ Dallas. I'm not sure that makes a difference. But he pulled up, and just like could see that he was throwing it from a mile away. For Miles Gaskin, we'd set that shit up for like two years. We really had that he never did. Are you kidding me? You're comparing it to, you're comparing Shane Waldron's coaching to Chris Peterson. Come on. Chris Peterson worked uh, Peterson so was, hard.
0: Chris Peterson so was not calling plays. Who was the offensive coordinator on that team? Whoever it was, I was. Whoever it was, we did not like
1: them. But they had set that up for so long. It was in the fucking Rose Bowl, wasn't it?
0: Yes, it was Miles Casson's literal last game.
1: You're, you're talking about the Husky team that made it to the Rose Bowl. I'm that played well seeing... enough to play in the Rose Bowl. And had Miles Gaskin every single time from the Wildcat run. Every time. For two full years. And the Seahawks put four running backs on the field with one receiving option. Just DK Metcalf. Handed off to a running back. I just don't think that
0: one receiving option is as big it. of a deal as you think it is.
1: There just aren't that many people that you have to defend as the defense. If there's one receiving Running backs option, are
0: allowed to catch passes, you know? It's illegal.
1: Did they even go out for the pass, though? I think they I, were I pretty much I, all blocking. It was like DJ Dallas. They were. It, it was like DJ Dallas had one place to throw it, and he wasn't going to throw it away, and he wasn't going to run it. He was going to throw it to DK Metcalf, irrelevant of the situation.
0: Well, he said I, he tried to pull it back, and that's why it looked so bad. But if you had switched it around and made him left-handed, maybe it would have
1: liked the guy just... Tried to pull it back, and then extended his arm and threw it? What?
0: That was his explanation.
1: Do you think the coaches tried to pull back the play after I it started? P. Carroll said he
0: should have called timeout. That was his comment <laughs> yes. post-game. Yeah. So no I mean, shit. He you try should try to call timeout.
1: It was the worst play call in Seahawks franchise history. It has nothing to do with Miles Gaskin. The worst
0: play call in Seahawks history. It's gotta be a punt. It's got it's gotta be a P. <laughs> a P. Carroll punt.
1: Well, a punt is not as fun. There's also one notably very bad play call on Seahawks' history. But that
0: was not a bad play call. That was a bad <laughs> outcome. It's yes. different things.
1: I see it again outcome every time I see it. Richard Sherman continues to podcast ball. about. I'm just like, Lockett catches it, and we easily... It's a pass interference, too. Dude, does nobody see that that's a pass interference? There's a mm. lot of contact early. I suppose so. Also, Russ can't throw to his right. <clears throat> they should have known that. <laughs> Wanted to roll out. That was what we wanted. It was... Well, yeah, he did, they didn't have him roll out. I, yeah, that's my complaint. There's so many I don't, think it was
0: a, I don't think it was a good process. I just don't think it was the worst process in CX history. Were Seahawks you watching history.
1: the, the uh, Steelers-Browns earlier? For the most part, yeah. They did the read option of Trubisky when he scored. I did not see that one. It's just like, that's a touchdown, right? Like... If Russell Wilson reads a defender and rolls out, if they make it look like a handoff and he runs, it's a touchdown every single time. There were a lot of choices that were better than that pass. The idea to pass is not doesn't necessarily need to be litigated. But...
0: Well, I guess we the entire defense of the 2014 Seahawks is ready to litigate that and come on your podcast and litigate it at any time.
1: <laughs> and we'll go on any podcast and litigate it. <laughs> when when Mike Sean was at, at the live show being like there was a current linebacker I'm not going to say who came up to KJ Wright and was like we need you no <laughs> we need you we saw on it Sunday it's just like yeah they do they need KJ Wright the team needs just competent defenders they basically uh-huh. leveraged the entire franchise
0: which, which part of Debo Samuel's 51 yard run where he was trapped in the backfield made you feel that way
1: oh I wasn't even watching i was just like I it was like I would flip over for a little bit cuz I felt guilty. You know what I mean? It was like watching the Seahawks is like doing chores now. I'm like, okay, if I watch the Seahawks for a few minutes, I get to watch Red Zone. Right? I'm like, okay, I I just have to watch like one series and then I'll flip over to Red Zone.
0: Are you forcing baby fantasy genius to watch the Seahawks as well as part of his he, chores? He
1: wanted he wanted me to more. He was like, "Go back to the sea." C- or I don't know. We were fighting over it. I can't remember. <laughs> I think I actually made him watch the Seahawks. He wanted to go back to Red Zone. He knows what's up. He's
0: got to worry about his fantasy team now.
1: Ugh. it was awful. Every every piece about it. Your defense of it—it's the Miles Gaskin defense. That's the worst defense of something that I've ever heard. Well, I've, I've heard worse. A lot worse defenses of things on Twitter
0: today. Good friend.
1: Have you? Oh
0: yes, yes I have.
1: Well, I'm just telling you right now, the mile, it was not a comparable situation. Miles Gaskin pulling up, looking like he was going to run, finding the pass after they'd set it up for multiple years. That That's fair. They, they probably were on the sideline. It was that Penn State or Ohio State? Would have been Ohio State because it's the Rose Bowl. But Ohio State was like, okay, if they go into Wildcat, they never pass out of it. They yeah. fucking game plan for it. At no point. With the 49ers, like, okay, if they get in their four running back set.
0: (laughs) Which you've never seen
1: before. Watch for the pass. (laughs) But it was just, you know, when you see the receiver, like, when you're a fan, you see the receiver look down, or the running back or a wide receiver, and they're going to throw it. You know instantly. The defenses also know you need to have somebody wide open. The second that the running back looks up to start throwing it, somebody has to be so open that the you have to be able to make the easiest pass that has happened in NFL history or have Jarvis Landry, right? The, Steelers, Dallas. the
0: Steelers pulled off a wide receiver pass tonight, didn't they? Was that
1: a thing? I think I may have fallen asleep through that. Okay. It's I'm not saying that all wide receiver passes are bad, but it's just like the the receivers better be pretty fucking open.
0: Fair. And also, like, I think a lot of the value of that is about having open field, which you don't have in the red zone when you run it at the five-yard line or wherever they were. So that might, might be another argument against it. I guess that technically wasn't a pass. It must have been a backwards pass as part of it. Huh.
1: That was an argument against the worst play call in Seahawks history. That it was. All right. Well, can't wait for Sunday.
0: Chances of victory.
1: 35%. 45%. On that note. I'd rather do chances of victory. I just want to preview whoever the Broncos are playing. Cheer, <laughs> cheer for whoever they are. I'm just like, I well, can't we've wait to...
0: We... We've, we've already previewed the 49ers, although not with Jimmy I, Well,
1: I'm excited when we get into the games where it's like, the when they're playing against the NFC West, or the AFC West, I'm just like, yeah, let's freaking go. I don't know. Brandon
0: Staley's not going to go further than fourth down.
1: Ugh, they had the Colts in Week 5. God. Jags in Week 8, though. That's a big one. Now, the Broncos' schedule is kind of weirdly easy.
0: I mean, they were fourth place in that division, weren't they?
1: It's just some of the teams haven't. The only team who's, like, was sort of a fringe team that has shaken out to look better so far after the first couple weeks is the Jags, but the Colts look awful. The Jets maybe look semi-competent. Ooh, the, Titans, the Titans look terrible. The that's Panthers correct. look pretty awful. They do have this stretch to end the season. They they might lose all these at Baltimore, hosting Kansas City, hosting the Cardinals, we'll see, at the Rams, at Chiefs, hosting Chargers. So that's what we're targeting here for the draft pick. Those last six games right there. Don't give Don't give up hope early. Because they might, they might go over in those last six games. On that note. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks.